Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Municipal Securities Rulemaking Board's podcast. I'm your host, Leah Zarek, and today we'll be continuing our conversation about the role of technology and data in advancing municipal market fairness, efficiency, and transparency. The municipal securities market is constantly evolving, and we must evolve with it by modernizing our rulebook and modernizing our technology systems. All of the MSRB's market transparency systems are now operating in the cloud, and we are already seeing a return on investment with enhanced security, improved performance, and greater reliability, scalability, and flexibility. It is an incredible privilege and honor for me to lead the MSRB as its CEO at a time when this organization is poised to take advantage of all that cloud computing, machine learning, and artificial intelligence and big data have to offer. That's Mark Kim, who was recently tapped to lead the MSRB as our CEO. He's speaking about his vision for the organization. In our previous podcast episode, which I hope everyone checks out if you haven't already, we heard from several members of the MSRB's board of directors about the board's strategic investment in technology. And today, we will hear from two individuals that Mark and the board have entrusted with bringing that technology vision to life. We have Adam Cusson, the MSRB's Chief Information Officer, and Brian Anthony, the Director of Data Strategy and Management. I want to start with a question for you, Adam. What did it take to bring the MSRB's market transparency systems to the cloud? Leah, thank you very much. I'd like to just take a quick step back for just a second and and talk about why we are at this point in our cloud journey. In 1975, when Congress established the MSRB, it was not only to write rules, but it was also to establish our information systems to promote a fair and efficient market. Our job in technology, my job as a CIO, is that second part. It's about establishing information systems, which we call our market transparency systems. These systems from the backbone of our industry And they're really of immense value to our market participants. Now, some may be surprised to know that here at the MSRB, roughly half, 50% of our headcount and half, 50% of our budget is spent on technology. It's core to our mission and it really touches everything that we do. So Leah, getting back to your original question, the cloud migration, what did it take? It took 18 months and it took seven and a half million dollars. And as of September, we were running all of our market systems fully in the cloud. Now, to get started, we did our homework from the outset. We built a business case to prove that there was a case for moving to the cloud. We interviewed CSPs, which are cloud service providers. We interviewed SIs, systems integrators, other regulators. We also attended a bunch of conferences, and we also read many books. We needed to get educated about this journey that we were embarking on. So we started with defining our guiding principles to help guide our decisions along the way, because we knew that there was going to be a number of tough decisions to make. We had very close oversight throughout this project from the very beginning until the very end. We had daily standups. We had weekly governance meetings. We wanted to identify problems as early as possible and tackle those challenges head on. And believe me, there were plenty of challenges throughout this entire migration. We spent a considerable amount of time upfront accessing our on-prem environment just to make sure that we got the sizing right in the cloud and also architecting our cloud landing zone to make sure that we got it just right. 
We then made the decision to re-platform our servers onto hardened Amazon machine images. This cost us more work up front, but this way we knew we wouldn't be taking many of the current problems that we had with us. And the way we did this was by using something called infrastructure as code. We used cloud formation templates, and we really focused on automating the delivery of our application's code onto these AMIs. As a result, we saw a significant reduction in deployment times towards the tail end of the migration. And this investment in automation, we expect this is going to continue to pay dividends for us in the future. We also built a brand new network on AWS from the ground up, and we applied the principle of security by default in everything that we built. We improved our security posture with the likes of next generation firewalls, micro segmentation, and data encryption, both in transit and at rest. And then we rewrote most of our monitoring and operational jobs to be able to run in the cloud. We needed to perform full regression testing, full functionality testing, and full performance testing of our systems in our lower environments to be confident that they would be able to perform with the quality that we needed prior to moving them into production. We then grouped and sequenced our systems to be moved to the production cloud in a total of seven waves. And these waves were to commence on Saturday mornings. We created contingency plans for each of these waves to be able to revert back if we experienced some unexpected problem during migration. And then prior to executing the migration wave, we also needed to update all of our operational runbooks and our policies so that we would be cloud ready. We then executed the weekend migration, we tested the environment so that we were 100% confident in our systems prior to the start of business on Monday morning. Then, after that was done, came the task of shutting down the on-prem systems, they were no longer in use, and then eventually evacuating all of the hardware out of our data centers and decommissioning those data centers. Wow, that just sounds like truly a tremendous effort, all those Saturdays dedicated to bringing us to the cloud. Can you tell us a little bit more about the IT team and the folks that were involved in working with you on this cloud migration project? I'd love to. The absolute most critical part of this migration was to bring our people along with us during this journey. I could talk about this for hours, Leah, but I'll spare you that. Technology is easier to change and people are not always as easy to change. And so we focused on change management from the outset, and we had tailored learning journeys for those people whose roles would change by moving to the cloud. We needed to know that we'd be able to support and operate successfully in a cloud environment by the end of this migration. And I'm very proud to state that we had over 75% of our staff, AWS certified, by the end of the migration. And this actually includes people outside of IT as well, such as in finance and in legal. So we really wanted everyone to feel they were a part of this migration and to know what was going on. And so we focused heavily on those communications, either through our weekly newsletters or through group knowledge sharings and also with our all-hand conversations. And really now, due to the amazing efforts and the execution by our staff, we achieved this migration with zero downtime, it was delivered on time, and it was delivered on budget. And this all while dealing with an unforeseen challenge, which was the COVID-19 pandemic. This pandemic occurred right as we were migrating our very first test systems to the cloud. And like many organizations, the MSRB, traditionally we've been an in-office company, 
given the size and the complexity of our systems. However, during the pandemic, this simply was not an option. Fortunately, we had started the process of moving to a more remote friendly environment earlier in the year. We had just finished rolling out our updated online tools and training the company prior to going fully remote. And, and when I say we had just finished a company-wide BCDR exercise two days prior to moving to full remote. So it was literally just before it. This event really caused an acceleration of our focus on the remote worker employee experience. And what made it more challenging is that our market transparency systems, they experienced an increase of three times load due to the ensuing March municipal market liquidity crisis. Now, fortunately, we previously procured enough capacity for our systems to be able to weather this load, and we did it with zero impact to our users. However, all of this work, it did take a toll on our infrastructure and operations teams who are working around the clock to ensure availability of our systems while also in parallel juggling the migration activities. And we could just absolutely not be prouder of the work this team was able to accomplish over those 18 months to make this migration a success. It's really so impressive. Great job to the team. And I know all of us who had to get set up really quickly in our home offices really appreciated the great support we had to be able to do our work seamlessly from home. So now here we are, Emma and all our related systems are just up there kicking back in the cloud. But what does that mean exactly? (laughs) So simply put, we stopped using our previous three data centers and now all of our systems are running 100% in the public cloud. Well, one immediate benefit you may have seen, Leah, is that our systems, they're actually not kicking back in the cloud. They are sprinting in the cloud. Our electronic municipal market access or the EMMA website is lightning fast. And for those of you who haven't visited recently, I'd encourage you to visit again. And the key reason why EMMA is faster now is because in the cloud, we can optimize performance by selecting different instance types that are running modern hardware to run our systems. And for those of you out there that aren't familiar with this, selecting your instance types in the cloud is a lot like going to a restaurant and ordering from the menu. How hungry are you? If you're ravenous, you may choose the prime rib. However, if you don't have a big appetite that day, you may select a salad. Likewise with the cloud, we can select the type of instance we want from a menu with the click of the button. This allows us to deliver both performance and optimal cost. Wow, so we're recording this podcast during the lunch hour and your analogy there is making me a little bit hungry, but let's keep going and tell us a little bit about some of the other immediate benefits that we at the MSRB and that market participants are seeing now that we've moved to the cloud. Thinking, for example, like availability and security. Yeah, some of the other immediate benefits that we've been seeing are just those around systems availability, around security, and also around cost management as well. Regarding our systems availability, historically, we've had a very excellent set of availability numbers. However, we are now deployed across two AWS availability zones and two geographically distributed regions. And this really provides for great redundancy in case of any kind of a unplanned local failure in one of the local data centers or even a regional disaster. Additionally, combining that with the ability to add more instances on demand, we anticipate being able to match and even exceed our previous historically excellent availability numbers. Now, the point about adding or modifying instances on demand, it's an important one. 
And the reason is because a concrete example of where this will help us in the future is what we experienced during our migration with the March municipal liquidity crisis. We experienced an increase of three times our typical load during that time. Now, we were fortunate that we had purchased enough hardware ahead of time that we could withstand this load. But now that we're in the cloud, we can scale up even higher as needed to further protect system availability. So we're really in a better position now to ensure systems availability during any kind of a significant increase in load on our systems. Now, with the other benefit regarding security, one of our guiding principles when we set out on this journey was to be something called secure by default. And this means you start everything at the most secure configuration and you only change when you must. And you only make the minimal change that you need to make. So we built our AWS sites with security from the start. And now our systems have more security layers and protection than they ever have. And lastly, regarding cost management, now that our systems are sprinting around the cloud, we're really focused on that operational excellence and optimizing our spend. The cloud is a pay-as-you-go model. So ideally, we're only going to use the minimal amount of cloud resources required. We don't want to use any more or any less. In the past, due to long procurement cycles, we needed to purchase servers way ahead of time that could handle multiple times our estimated peak loads. Now we can start much smaller and then scale up or scale down as load increases and decreases to get to that minimal spend with optimal performance. And we also have the ability to turn off those unused cloud resources when they're not being used, such as overnight and on the weekend. So we are very pleased with the immediate benefits we're seeing and the solid foundation we've created. And this is really going to help lay that foundation for something that we can build upon to take further advantage of now that we've moved to the cloud. Right. So all these early wins, they don't mean job completed, do they? Can you tell us a bit more about the next phase in the MSRB's technology work plan? Yes, this is most definitely not job complete. In fact, we are just getting started. Now that we have finished step one and we are in the cloud, we are getting ready to launch into step two. And this is modernizing our systems on the cloud. And this is a very exciting part. During the migration, we took our application architectures primarily as is to the cloud. We rebuilt the underlying layers and the layers surrounding our applications, but we did not need to alter the fundamental architecture of our applications to be able to have a successful migration to the cloud. The cost and the time to do that would have just exceeded our planned business case. Now, our applications were built with the best architecture of the time when they were built. However, now that we are in the cloud, there are ways that we need to alter our application architectures to be able to take full advantage of what the cloud offers. So this is where we will take a good, hard look at our current systems and we're gonna rationalize them. We will apply modern cloud-based architectural designs that give our systems agility to evolve. And we are also gonna use fit for purpose technologies. Now our goals of modernizing systems are not solely technology driven. That is a major part of it. However, it is just as important that we address pain points and use cases for our industry. And then we focus on the user experience and making sure that users can get the data they need quickly and efficiently and make compliance easier. 
It's part of this step. It's going to be very important that we rethink our systems in a way that will allow them to evolve as the market and technology evolves. The only constant is change. And so that will be a core part of our thinking. This is an exciting opportunity for us, Leah, and the staff is chomping at the bit to get started. We will be able to take advantage of that investment in our people during the migration and building their cloud skills to be able to catapult us through this next part of our journey. We'll be able to put artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language processing, and many other modern technology advancements to use to better fulfill our mission of establishing information systems. Thank you, Adam. I know it is really exciting. And this year has been one of really preparing for this effort. And to your point, getting to know our users' pain points and how we can improve their user experience, whether that may be the dealers who are trying to submit trade data to our real-time transaction reporting system, RTRS, or the issuers who are trying to file disclosures for public display on EMMA, or if it's investors trying to navigate EMMA to find those disclosures in that trade data, really doing that homework to understand our users and their pain points is crucial to this effort. And I know one thing that we heard loud and clear from our stakeholders, including really all 13 members of our market transparency advisory group, is that it all comes back to data. The municipal market runs on data, yet the data are often trapped within unstructured PDF documents, or they're inconsistent, or just otherwise not very useful to helping market participants make informed decisions. And Brian, that's kind of where you come in with our data strategy and management team. How are you and that team tackling these fundamental challenges with market data? Thank you, Leah. Really, with regard to our data, there are two fundamental data challenges. The first data challenge is improving how structured data is organized and stored. Since so much of our data is stored around QSIP, QSIP management is obviously essential. There's also an opportunity to organize that data beyond QSIP, such as by obligors or project where that's possible and appropriate. The second data challenge is unlocking insights from our unstructured data, our PDF disclosures. So year-to-date, the MSRB has received more than 150,000 PDF disclosures. As you can imagine, quite a bit of insight about the muni market is locked away in these disclosures. So making this data more searchable, more machine-readable is essential. The opportunity is there for us to take advantage of the cloud to address the challenges with MSRB's big data. So let me define big data as it relates to MSRB. The term big data is defined by the volume of data and the rate of data that we receive, specifically in our structured and semi-structured data. So think of trade and pre-trade data. And it's also defined by the variety of formats and data that we receive. So think of our PDF structure. So the data management team is focused on the build out of a data lake, which will allow us to store both structured and unstructured data and to leverage cloud computing and tools to analyze this big data at scale. And so along with cloud technology, there has to be a focus on improving data management practice and principles. And our reference data management or our master data management strategy will be focused on improving data quality with data domains such as security and issuers. And the outcome of this will be higher quality, more reliable data and improved actionable insights for our stakeholders. Thanks, Brian. We talk about the cloud and we talk about the data lake and it feels like we're going out for a walk in the park, but I know it's not simple at all and that there's a lot of concrete actions that your team has to take on. Maybe you could give us an example or two of some of the data-oriented projects that you're looking to focus on. 
Sure, Leah. So our stakeholders identified two use cases that were extremely important to them. The first is a security master database. And that is that the MSRB should develop and provide the industry with a security master database that includes a limited set, maybe 10 to 25, of core security attributes that are necessary to trade the security. So things like issuer name, coupon, maturity date. And then the second is QSIP management tools. So simplify the entry and management of QSIP data for issuers and their agents when filing on EMMA. Many issuers need to pay other professionals to manage their QSIP data on their behalf. So we believe that we can certainly add value in this area. Thanks, Brian. I know we certainly do a lot of work to try and make the submission process as simple as possible for our issuer users when they're coming in to make a disclosure filing to Emma, whether it's their annual financial filing or other event disclosure. And we certainly hear consistently that an easy place to get tripped up is not associating that disclosure filing with every single QSIP or every single individual security that that issuer has outstanding. And so certainly did come through loud and clear from our issuer audience that if we could make that process a little more error proof that that would be a huge win in terms of the ease of their efforts in making these disclosures available. And then, of course, the consistency that those disclosures would be available to investors who might be bondholders in one of those particular securities or might be doing some research on that particular security. So we just can't underscore enough the importance of that solid data foundation to the good functioning of our market. It really drives every other initiative and sets the limit of what we can achieve as a regulator in these modern and technology-driven times. And speaking of things that our users come to us for, certainly there's an interest in our analysis tools, whether that's our tool for comparing prices across different securities with similar characteristics or our market statistics that we offer or the third-party yield curves and indices that we make available on EMMA. But I know our listeners will be thrilled to learn that that was really just the start and there's so much more that is in the works. Maybe, Brian, you can tell us a little bit about what we've been developing in terms of advanced market insights through our EMMA Labs platform. Absolutely. So our EMMA Labs platform is our innovation hub. It's a place to work with stakeholders to test out prototypes. We plan to do more co-creation and innovation, again, partnering with our industry stakeholders. This really is an evolution into stakeholder-centered design, and it's one that we're really excited about. And so two active labs right now on that platform are enhanced search capabilities and our self-service market analysis tool. So let me talk about each of these and where they may go in the future thanks to input from our MLAB test users. So the advanced search is a Google-like experience for the search of market data and information available on EMMA. It explores the use of AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and natural language processing, and other technologies. Our market analysis dashboard is a graphical view of the secondary market, and it enables slicing and dicing the market by many key dimensions such as sector, trade type, tax status, trade size, and several others. And really, this is just a start of what we can do with data analytics. Our potential projects, as identified by our board, staff, and stakeholders, include digitizing the MSRB fact book by converting the annual fact book into a set of dashboards that provide dynamic, real-time views of market activity data, and really customizing the EMMA experience. And this goes back to what Adam was discussing about our market transparency systems. And that really is creating EMMA login landing pages that display EMMA content tailored by the EMMA usage goals of key stakeholder group personas 
That includes broker-dealers, municipal advisors, investors, and issuers. And then beyond just displaying that default content, but allowing each persona to then customize what they see upon login. Thanks, Brian. I know we have so many different types of market participants that come to the Emma website and are all looking for something different. So that ability to really tailor the site to your needs and make it so that you're not having to get through so many clicks to get to the information that you personally are looking for. I think that's another common theme we hear from our stakeholders about how we can improve their experience using Emma, which is a great thing to be focused on. Of course, we never lose sight of the fact that the MSRB is a securities regulator. And so we are charged with creating effective and efficient regulations for the dealers and the municipal advisors that operate in our market. We're also looking to explore how technology can enable us to do that kind of work to really improve our capabilities in that space while also looking for ways to reduce compliance burdens for our regulated entities. Brian, would you maybe be able to touch on some examples of how data could be helpful to our market regulation function? Absolutely. So a couple of ways that data can be helpful is within compliance tools. So compliance tools to help regulated entities digitize an automated process develop tools that reduce the compliance burdens for brokers and dealers, municipal advisors, and issuers. And some examples may include tracking and reporting on activity in the EMA systems at the user or firm level that help demonstrate due diligence, providing regulated entities with the same data that is reported to the SEC and FINRA, and tools that allow the issuer to enter their continuing disclosure requirements and then get reminders on them and be able to demonstrate their compliance to underwriters. In addition, the MSRB rulebook is obviously a core component in compliance, so we want to make that rulebook searchable. We want to improve the understanding of the MSRB rules and facilitate compliance, again, by making it possible to search the rulebook as though it were an independent entity rather than a part of EMMA or MSRB.org, and adding related interpreted guidance, frequently asked questions, and regulatory notices with each rule. And then lastly, we want to provide more self-service tools for the regulators responsible for enforcing MSRB rules. Thanks, Brian. Good point always to remind folks that the MSRB is somewhat unique as a regulator in that we write the rules, but we do not have the enforcement authority. So coordinating and providing data to our fellow regulators who enforce our rules is certainly a key part of our mission and technology tools are really critical to that working seamlessly. So really thank you to Brian and to Adam for sharing this window into the exciting world that's very different from my world, but the world of IT and data at the MSRB. I want to just end with a question for both of you. What potential innovation just has you the most excited about the future? Adam, let me start with you. Leah, thank you. I absolutely love talking about innovation and technology in the future. And, you know, I'm thinking in two buckets, near term and long term. So from a near term perspective, I think this year in the last six months has changed my near-term perspective than it was potentially previously. Right now, I'm very pleased with all the innovation that we're seeing coming out of the collaboration tools since the pandemic started. You can clearly see a lot of companies investing in this area and accelerating their roadmaps because there's a massive need for it right now, and it's probably going to continue like that for some time into the future. So That's one area that I'm really hoping to see some nice improvements to the remote employee work experience that we're all going to benefit from. I'd say longer term, I'm always going to be keeping my eye on blockchain technologies, given the industry we're in and the potential for impact there. And then further on the outer horizons, 
I'm very intrigued with quantum computing. I do recognize that this technology is pretty far out there, but the impact that it could have if it can be harnessed to solve typical problems is pretty incredible. Additionally, if you combine the speed of quantum computing with the always-on of 5G and the ability to then train artificial intelligence models faster using quantum, I think there's potential to eventually impact daily lives in the future. That sounds like science fiction to me, but I like your, your enthusiasm, Adam. How about you, Brian? What has you excited about the future? Really piggybacking on what Adam said is that as a society, we're being inundated with more data. So I'm excited about the progressions in machine learning and natural language processing algorithms. And even though it's not an exact science yet, it will continue to progress. And much of that progression will depend on compute power, as Adam described above. Great. Well, all exciting things to watch. I'm glad we have you two here to guide us on that journey. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about this. I know it certainly sounds like it keeps you guys excited and energized and your teams as well. So we're really glad that you took the time out to share what you're up to with our listeners. I hope folks stay tuned to our MSRB podcast for some future episodes on different topics, but we're always grateful to have some time to talk technology. Thank you. Thank you. You've met Emma, but how well do you know her? The official source for municipal securities data and disclosure documents Emma also provides tools for investors, issuers, and municipal market professionals. Check municipal market yield curves and indices, a calendar of new issues coming to market, statistics on the most actively traded securities, and much more. All for free. Visit Emma today. The information provided in this MSRB podcast is intended for educational purposes only and provides a general overview of the subject matter. The content of the podcast is not intended to provide and does not constitute legal, investment, tax, business, or other advice, and is not an MSRB rule or an amendment to or an interpretation to any MSRB rule. Compliance with conduct recommended in the podcast does not mean that a firm or individual has complied fully with obligations under the MSRB rules, other self-regulatory rules, or laws or regulations. The MSRB podcasts are the sole property of the MSRB. You may access and download the MSRB podcast only for educational, non-commercial use. You may not reproduce them in whole or in part in any form or reference them in any publication without the MSRB's prior written consent. Copyright 2020, the Municipal Securities Rulemaking Board, all rights reserved. Thank you for listening to the MSRB podcast.